So, at the end of last week's shiur, I indicated that we would start speaking about Hodul Hashem Kiru However, uh, a couple days into it, I noticed my mistake, and I was like, oh, wait a second. I can't continue researching Hodu because I really need to introduce Pesukei de Zimra. For this Faradim, the section of Pesukei de Zimra begins with Hodul Hashem Kiru um, and for the Ashkenazim, actually put Hodul Hashem after Baruch Shamar for reasons that we'll discuss in the coming weeks. Uh, however, um, this section is a new section of Tefillah. This uh, uh, section that we're approaching, we just did a Kaddish after what's known by the, as the Olam Hasiyah, the Mkubalim call it that. And we're going into the second section of Tefillah, which is the section of Psuke de Zimra. And the Mukabalim call that the, the section of the Olam HaYetzira. And so I thought it would be fitting to actually begin with a, um, an introduction to what Pesuket de Zimra is, why we say it, what are the sources for saying it, and some of the background historically for uh, the selection of Mizmorim. We won't approach every Mizmor this week because obviously each one needs its own dissection from I mean, from the Bracha Baruch Shamar to Mizmah Toda and Yichavod and Ashrei and Halaluz, each and every one has their own, um, uh, are their own topics. But we'll begin with the concept of Shvach in general. And I just want to recap something that we spoke about all the way in the first Shi'or. In the first Shi'or, the one titled, Why We Pray, we spoke about different types of theologies of tefillah, different philosophies like why we, why we, why we daven halachically, why do we, um, why do we have petitionary prayer, why do we give thanks to Hashem, and why do we think, and why do we say praise of Hashem, it's called laudatory prayer. And we discussed the problem of saying praises to Hashem, so when we say praise of Hashem, we're clearly not doing it for Hashem. He doesn't need our praises, and it definitely doesn't affect him. It doesn't affect his essence. It makes no difference to Hashem whether or not we praise him. It's clearly, the fact is that clearly we say praises of Hashem for ourselves. We say praises of Hashem in order so that we ourselves can ascend and get higher and get closer into filah. And the praises that we say of Hashem are definitely not uh, done for him. It's done for ourselves and to bring us closer. But it begs the question for when is it appropriate to say Shvach, laudatory prayer, when is it not appropriate? Because there are times, as which we'll see in, in um, some of the sources below, where it is appropriate to say praise or a lot of praise, and sometimes it's not appropriate to say too much praise. So we mentioned in the first year of the Rambam, um, in More Nevuchim, Chilak Aleph, Nontes. So the Rambam wrote the first Sefer of More Nevuchim, as in, in the first Sefer of More Nevuchim, he discusses religious. Um, language, meaning in in this book of philosophy, he discusses what the Torah and Nevi'im all mean when they use certain terms, and that was the objective of, of mostly the objective of the first book of um, of Mordechai, and he um, ties that into Jewish theology and how we understand Hashem and how we understand um, many core concepts of our theology. So. The Ramam over there does a famous distinction, we've spoken about it many times, which is known as the is-does distinction, where he, he maintains and establishes for generations, most people don't appreciate that the Ramam doesn't do this anymore because it's almost lost to history that the Ramam made this such a thick part of Judaism that no one even 
could imagine uh, the Jewish people ever having doubts about such a thing, but the Rambam establishes that we never speak about Hashem in terms of what He is. We can only speak about Hashem in terms of what He does. We can never, that is because we can never describe Hashem's essence. Hashem is too other, is too different, and is beyond our understanding completely. And therefore, whenever the Torah speaks about Hashem, with any kind of description, all forms of description of Hashem are descriptions of His actions, whether it's saying God's hand, God's eyes, God's anger. All of these, all of these things are meant for us to relate to Hashem's actions and His ways of interfacing with our world, not to describe His actual essence. The other way the Torah can speak of, of Hashem would be um, in forms of negation. So that's called apophatic theology, where you could say what Hashem is not. That's basically the only word we can have for our Creator, which is other or not. So, for example, we could say God is not finite. God is infinite. We could say that God is not human. We could say that He is impassable, immutable, things that are all negative theology. And that'll give us, you know, a more of a spiritual or gray, you know, more of a spiritual relation to Hashem. That once we understand, you can learn a lot about something by knowing more about what it isn't. Getting close to the other usually involves separating ourselves from the physical and from what we know. So that's a, a different exercise for another time, but... That's called ne uh, negation theology. So that was the Ramam's establishment over there. Now, in that section, the Ramam has a... Uh, <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't call it a tangent, but an area where he speaks about Paitanim, or the poets of his time. And he wasn't happy with their exercises because these poets would speak of Hashem in glowing, flowing terms, such as you can describe God as beautiful, gorgeous, wise, um, all sorts of praises of Hashem in their poetry which the Raman found incredibly, dis not just incredibly distasteful, but he found it very wrong. And the Raman brings a Gemara to illustrate his point about what the appropriate way is for us to praise um, Hashem. So on the source sheet here, it's, I think, uh, yeah, number six. It's the Gemara Brachot bit. So there's a story where one of the Shluchet Zibor, a person... Um, in the time of the Moraim, <clears throat> it was normal for people to make certain additions to Shemona Esrei based on how they, you know, they were on a different level, so they were able to add certain things to Tefillah. So a person got up to pray as the Shliach Tzibor, and he did it in the Beit Midrash of Rav Hanina, or either, either Beit Midrash or in the place of his jurisdiction. Ahudin Achit Kameder Bechanina, a person who went down to, to the Yamud, to, to, to pray in front of the Amora Rabbi Hanina, Amar, and he said in his prayer, Hakel Hagadola Gibor Vahanora, Havaha Adir Vaha Azuz Vahaya Roy, Hachazak Vahamis, Vahavadai Venechbad. He said, Not just God is great and strong and awesome, but he's also, that he's also um, uh, splendorous and he's mighty and he's, uh, he's awesome and he's strong and all, all, he's steadfast and honorable, all these different. Uh, uh, appellations, or I don't, I'm not, what's the right word, praises of Hashem. So the Gemara says, Himtin Hanina waited for him until he finished his tefillah. Kisayim, when the man was finished, Amar Lake, Siamtinu Marach, have you finished uh, saying all the praises of, you, of, your, of, your, of, your, of your master, of your creator? Lamali Kulihai, why do you need all these praises? Anan, we, Hani Tlat Damrinan, Ilav Damrinu Moshe Rabbeinu Baoraita, Batu Anshiknes, Akadolav, Tekninu Betfila, Loavina Nicholina Memaluhu, Veat Amat Kuli Haibazlat, Us, Anan, meaning we, these three that we say in Shmonasre, which are Hagadol, Hagibor, Hanara, the mighty, 
the, the, the great, the mighty, and the, and the awesome, if it weren't for Moshe Rabbeinu saying them in the Torah, which is, they are, they are there, I think it's in Dvarim, I forgot which parasha it's in, um, and then the Anshei Knesset HaGadola came and established it in our tefillah, we would never have the right to say these things about Hashem. And you're, you're saying all these and continuing and and um, and you you would have to you would have to continue saying praise out of, praise out of ad infinitum. We, we obviously we can't, and only Moshe, only the ones that Moshe Rabbeinu put in, um, we can say mashal. And he he continues with a mashal. Says Rebchanina, mashal lemelch basar adam shehayulo elaf elafim dinare zahav. It's a parable to a king of flesh and blood who has tens of thousands of 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 uh, gold coins, or you know he's very wealthy. and they praise him with silver. isn't that a a disgrace for the king if they praise him with silver? So says the Rambam. Pay attention to Rebchanina's mashal. Rebchanina doesn't say that the king is a billionaire and you praise him as being a millionaire, or that he has you know billions of of gold coins, and you're saying that he only has millions of gold coins. That's not what Rebchanina's mashal is. Rebchanina's mashal is that you're praising Hashem with Zahav, with Kesef, and you're praising the king with Kesef, and he actually has Zahav. Says the Rambam, the point here of this Gemara is that the problem with laudatory prayer, or the danger of saying praises in front of Hashem, is that not that the praises that we say in front of Hashem are insufficient to fully categorize Hashem, the praises that we say of Hashem are incompatible with Hashem because we're describing something other. It's comparing apples to oranges. Hashem is not that thing. You cannot say Hashem is beautiful. You cannot say Hashem is wise because Hashem is not that thing. Hashem created wisdom. Hashem created beauty. He is other than these concepts. Therefore, it is impossible for us to speak in these terms about Hashem. And therefore, the Raman puts that down two rules from this Gemara. Number one, if Moshe Rabbeinu um, describe this attribute, then we can use it. Why? Because first of all, Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest of the Nevi'im, and these describe experiences that he had of Hashem, which we can authenticate because he said them. And second of all, if the Anshei who were also the last of the Nevi'im, gave us permission to use that in our tefillah, then we can use those attributes of of the um, of HaKel HaGadol HaGibor Banorah. This is a very interesting um, thing because in all of halakha, it's rare that you'll ever see the poskim bring something from us from a sefer of philosophy or musar. But this is the one time you'll find in halachan or achaim that the poskim bring a rambam from from Morenuvuchim and they bring it la halacha when they're discussing Shimon Esrei and what you're allowed to add for akel They bring this rambam Morenuvuchim, and all of the poskim agree with the rambam's premise. They say it was so it was so impactful in Bnei Yisrael, that this was considered obvious to everybody, and everyone brought this Rambam to, um, to, this, to formulate this halacha, and so therefore it actually had an impact on what the halacha is for how we can describe Hashem. I, I mean, we, we discussed in the first year exactly how to quantify that. For example, Maria Buhab says, well, if you're being rigid, like in Shemon Esrei, and you're describing only Hashem's essence, or not just His essence, but you're describing Him more in a confined space, like the first bracha, which is only speaking about Hashem and nothing else, you're just approaching Hashem b'derech nochach, over there you have to be very careful about what you use, but halachically, Maria Buhab relaxes it, and he says that you could, for example, if you're not making a mistake, if you're saying, uh, Hashem who um, created wisdom, please, Hashem of wisdom, please give me wisdom, or Hashem who is, uh, 
is of all wealth, give me wealth. As long as you're not making a mistake necessarily, he relaxes halacha, he allows one to, to say it. But that's, that's a, a, a discussion for another time. What is interesting about the Rambam's rule is that the Rambam noticed that throughout Tanakh, all of the psukim, which speak about praise of Hashem, all of them stay within the bounds of these rules. For example, you'll never find the psukim anywhere speaking about um, Hashem with descriptive attributes. It's never going to say things like that. Instead, it'll say, let us praise Hashem and praise His name. Everyone's going to praise His actions. Um, we shall speak of all His wonders. All the praises in Tehillim and throughout Tanakh will stay far away from describing Hashem's essence. They'll only describe His actions. They'll describe the miracles he performed. They'll describe um, negations, but they'll never describe Hashem himself. Okay, so that's that's an introduction to our perspective for how we approach Shvach from a theological standpoint. Now, the second part I wanted to look at, I'm not sure why I structured it like this, but <laughs> let's, look, let's look at it this way. Um... Historically, Pesuge de Zimra was not always structured the way we have it uh, today. Today it's a very canonized part of the Mahzar, of the Sidur. However, if you look in the Rambam in Hilchot Tzfilah, Perek Zayin, Yud Bet, and Yud Zayin, Halach Yud Bet and Halach Yud Zayin, he makes it sound like Pesuge de Zimra was a private thing you said at home, if you could say it and if you wanted to say it, and it's less important. And the Zagmara in Shabbat will see momentarily, which Rabbi says that uh, he hopes to be like those who, who say all the six Muslim every day. It would seem like it wasn't always, Sukkot Zimra was not always a canon fixed part of our tefillah, that it, was never always, it wasn't always considered a chiyuv. If we look in Masechet Sofrim, which is a, like a sort of a bright that written at the time of the Geonim, um, over there, uh, and, and in the Siddur of Amram Gaon, later in the Gaonim, and of Sadi Gaon, I don't think in his Siddur, why did I write that? I don't think, I don't know if Sadi Gaon's Siddur has it, but they both have the main corpus of the six Mizmorim that we have, you know, Ashrei Til Halaluka. Those, those contain all of the, the main ones that we have. However, Rashi and Shabbat, there's a Rashi and Shabbat which sounds like only Halaluka Tashem. Um, in Hashemayim and Halulat Hashem Bekotsho. I'm sorry, the the two of them. Halulu Kel Bekotsho. The the last Halulu. The, there's two of them. Is wearing the Rashi holds are the Ikar of Suge de Zimra. There's a whole discussion as to what exactly which ones are the main ones. So why is it important? Which are the main? It's important in case you come late. If you come late to shul, which ones are you going to say? So I, th- I we'll see this halachically, but. M- most <coughs> agree that if you're late, you should say Baruch Shemar, then Ashrei, and then if you have time, also say Hallelujah, Kel Bekotsho, and then say and then say Shabbat. It's from Sefarim uh, Sidurim. <coughs> the main one are in bold. Interesting. I'm not sure if I've seen that. I think they also put them in larger fonts. You know, they put the, they they put them bigger. But uh, some Sidurim today like keeping the fonts consistent because. You don't want your pupils to dilate and contract every time you're going from page to page. So they keep this font size consistent these days. That's that's fashionable. Um, okay, so now we're going to look at, hopefully, the sources for the Gemarot, for which mentions saying Pesukit Ra. We'll also look at many of the reasons for why Pesukit Ra were instituted.
You want to find a Cedar? So the first source for saying Sukkot Zimra, which I think is probably one of the most um, filled with information, is the Gemara Shabbat of Kuf Yudchet Amud Bet. It's a fascinating Gemara. It says, Amar I wish to be one of those who has the same, you know, portion as those who could say halal, could finish halal every day. Any, is this true, says the Gemara? The, has our master not taught us that one who reads halal every day is like one who is disgracing Hashem? The Gemara answers, No. What he means to say is Pesukei de Zimra. Some of the, the Girsau to the Rishonim add some extra words here. Umaynihu, what are Pesukei de Zimra? Tehilah de David, ad kol haneshamat halilka. From Ashrei until kol haneshamat halilka. Now, this is an interesting point, because the halal that we say in Rosh Chodesh, or the halal that we say on uh, Yom Tov, is known as halal ha-Mitzri, the Egyptian halal. doesn't mean that it was composed necessarily composed in Egypt, although there are those who hold that it was composed as we left Egypt. However, it means that it describes the Yitziat Mitzrayim. And the Gemara over here describes or contrasts Pesukei de Zimra and calls it Halal with the Halal which we say in Rosh Chodesh and the Halal which we say in Yom Tov. So now, it would be, ne- it would be useful to study what's the difference between these two Halals. Well, what, kind, what makes the Halal... Um, that we say for occasions, why is it that if it's a greater praise, then why would it be if we said it every day? And if it's a lesser praise, why say it in Tov Rosh Chodesh? So there must be something deeper going on here. So I heard a shear from Rabbi Moshe Taragin, and he brought, uh, I heard this Bishmo uh, of the of Vyashaber Salvechik, who discussed three key differences between the two. First of all, I mean, these differences are obvious between the, between the two Hallels. The first Hallel, the one that we uh, say every day, discusses creation. It discusses Hashem as the creator of all the things He created and the way He's noheg the world and how He conducts our world every day. It is a, it's, it's kind of a daily uh, exercise in Shvach for Hashem as our creator and as recognizing Him as the as the power in our lives who we could praise daily. But the Halel HaMitzri praises Hashem as our Goel, as our Redeemer. And throughout it, there's the theme of redemption is um, pervasive and repeated throughout that entire Halel. So one is a rare, uh, one, one of them is Hashem who created us, the other is the Hashem who is the Goel. Secondly, the praise of Hallel HaMitzri of the Hallel which we say in on, on, the, on, on special occasions in his view are praises of Hashem as we see him and as we relate to him when he performs miracles or when he presents himself to us in a transcendent form not in the quote unquote imminent form when we, when we experience Hashem in his transcendent manifestation, where he shows us that he is a God above all things and that he can do anything, that is the praise we give to him. 
But the Hallel, which we say daily, is the praise of Hashem who's imminent. All the things we say in um, all the things we say about Hashem being in our world, those are described in the Hallel, which we say daily. Now, furthermore, the Hallel that we say in on Rosh Chodesh and Yom Tov has Bakashot. We ask for Hashem's uh, um, salvation, but in the daily halal, the Psukhedi Zimrat has no such thing. And so the theory that was proposed is that when we experience Hashem as transcendent and when we experience Hashem coming down and doing Nisim and we get that rare glimpse of Hashem, it's an inspiration for us to then cry out in Bakashot and to, to use that opportunity of that revelation, so to speak, to connect with Hashem and, and ask Bakashot. But daily, when we're just trying to meditate on Hashem's involvement in our world, over there there's no right to, when we're just praising Hashem, to include Bakashot interwoven into our prayers. So the theory would be that if we were going to um, praise Hashem as transcendent, Every single day. If we were going to say Hallel HaMitzri every single day, that's almost blasphemy. It's disgraceful to pretend that Hashem is acting in our lives in a way every day, like it, like uh, like in a visible revelation or Kriyat Yamsuf. It's, it's not true. Hashem is not splitting oceans for us, and there's no right for us to cry out to Hashem in the way we would after Kriyat Yamsuf or after a Geulah. And <laughs> and uh, therefore, those would be the main three differences between the Hallel that we say daily, which it gets to be called the Hallel, and the Hallel Hagadol, or the Hallel HaMitzri. All right. So that's the first source. Of, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a Gemara, which teaches us not just a lot about Pesukah but it also teaches us to contrast it and to and it gives us an idea of what Pesukah Zimra is and its category as a Hallel and its praise and it gives us a better understanding of what Pesukah Zimra is in the eyes of the Gemara. The second source we should look at is the Gemara in Lamed Bet Amud Aleph in Brachot. That would be on the source sheet number two. So it says, Darash Abi Simlai. Abi Simlai was Doresh. Some Gersot have this as a Bechalba, but okay. For a person should always um, arrange his pra- praises of Hashem, and then after that he should pray. Minalan. How do we know this technique or this method? We learned it from Moshe Rabbeinu, and I, sup- and I prayed, implored Hashem at that time. Pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu began his supplication, and by doing, by he begins by say, by praising Hashem. You began to see your, to show your servant your your greatness and your strong hand, and like what kind of God is there like you with your actions? And then says the Gemara, and then after that, and then Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for the opportunity to go into Eretz Yisrael. 
So we see from Moshe Rabbeinu that if you want to get something from Hashem, you should first arrange your praises and then ask what you want. So it's, it's, it's an interesting technique because it almost sounds a little bit immature. Like, what is going on here? Are we trying to flatter Hashem to get what we want? Are we, like, buttering it up? Exactly what is the significance of this technique? So the Abu Ham, when he describes Psuke de Zimra, he uses the last shown of Praklitin. Uh, like, these Mizmarim are our advocates. It's not clear what he means by that because he doesn't flesh out his his meaning, but it sounds like he believes that we're building merit with these mizmorim by saying the mizmorim are somehow building merit, which would advocate for us. That's one possible explanation. The Lavush in uh, Orachaim Nunalif, he says that it's simply the appropriate way to do things. From a Musr standpoint, a person doesn't approach a king without formally addressing them and without addressing them appropriately like saying your majesty or first uh, you know giving a proper formal uh, greeting so therefore it is not for Hashem's sake that we are going to say these praises but when we're addressing royalty it's our duty to do so regardless of Hashem's needs Hashem doesn't need any praises from us but it's our duty when we address royalty from a Muslim standpoint to begin with praises so another reason, that's one reason why we instituted Psuke um, de Zimra. Just give me a second. So in the Siddur of Rav Gaon, the earliest, one of the earliest Siddurim we have, he actually mentions the Tshuva of Naturnai Gaon, who was even earlier than him. Rav Naturnai Gaon says, and this is obviously Mesoram Bavel, that the reason that Psuket Zimra was instituted in Tefillah was because of this drasha of Rav Simlai. This drasha, this Kamara, is the reason why Psuket Zimra was instituted. Now, the Rishonim also, as we have just seen, offered additional reasons. And one of the reasons they say, this is the Manig and the Muke Yosef, say that the Gemara right there before, on Laflamid, on Bet, brings the Mishnah, that it should be in your source sheet over here, uh, number seven. That the early pious ones would prepare themselves for an hour before tefillah. And so the Rishonim say that because of this, there, we learned from the Gemara that there's a concept called Shehiyah. Or Shehiyah literally means to wait or to prepare, to meditate and uh, before tefillah and prepare ourselves before we enter Shemona Esrei. Therefore, because the Hasidim HaRishonim had this practice, we try to emulate them and we buffer our tefillah before Shemona Esrei with extra things to make it, to try to get it to like an hour. This is why we append the Pasuk of Ashrei Yoshvei Techa before Tila David. Tila David is its own parak of Tilim. It doesn't begin with the words Ashrei, but we're trying to begin and say that just like the Hasidim HaRishonim, we too, Ashrei Yoshevei Techa, praised were the ones who sat in your house, meaning the Hasidim HaRishonim. And so we're trying to emulate them by spending more time meditating and contemplating on Hashem's greatness before we begin tefillah. That's yet another reason why um, the Rishonim believe Pesukei Zimra was instituted. Uh, one more reason, and this one is uh, probably, uh, probably the last we're going to look at, I think. Yeah, this is the Balei Tosafot and Rashi. The Gemara and Brachot says as follows. This is source number four. Tanu Rabanan. Ein omdin balel, lo mitoch atzvut, lo mitoch We don't 
um, stand and get ready to pray, not out of depression, not out of laziness, not out of uh, jest, not out of a conversation, not out of lightheadedness, and not from stupid things. When a person is going to begin praying, they have to pray by leaving the joy. The best way to pray is to begin praying with the joy of a mitzvah. The Gemara Psachim and Daf Kufyud Zayin, right under that, I brought, fleshes this out very similarly, and it says, Lamedcha, the Gemara over there in Psachim says, She'ena shechina shoreh, lo mitoch atzvut, lo mitoch atzvut, lo mitoch schok, lo mitoch kalut rosh, lo mitoch dvarim betilim, ela mitoch davar simcha shal mitzvah. The Gemara Psachim says something very similar, but it's not talking about tefillah. It's talking about the shechina resting on a person. The shechina never rests on a person unless he's leaving the simcha, of a mitzvah. How do we know that? From Elisha. That Elisha, before he wanted to have a prophecy, he requested the minstrel or the the, the 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 player of the harp should come and play music for him. So now we see this concept of a simcha shel mitzvah should be the appropriate way of of beginning to feel. So says Tosafot over there. Rashi says something similar. Uh, this is source number five. This is Tosafot and Brachot Lamed Aleph Lamed Aleph. Dibir Maskel, I think Rabbanan Avdi Kamatnitin says Tosafot VeKavatayu Kaimalan. We hold like the Rabbanan VeLachain, and therefore Ein Mitpalalim Etoch Kalut Rosh VeSchok Ella Etoch Kobed Rosh out of humility VeSimcha Shel Mitzvah and the joy of doing a mitzvah. Kigon Shal Seik B'Tvei Torah, like we should labor in Torah before we begin to pray. The Ramam actually, just as a tangent, the Ramam disagrees with this part of Tosafot. The Ramam holds you shouldn't learn before davening because your head's going to be caught up in learning. If you were going to learn, you should do, learn something very simple that doesn't require dwelling any thought. That's called halacha psukah. The Ramam argues on Tosafot, but let's go via Tosafot. Because of this halacha that we should begin tefillah with simcha shal mitzvah, they instituted to say pesukeh and ashrei before we pray. Because by saying Ashrei and by saying all of the Pesukim over there, we're going to bring ourselves meditatively to a joy which is going to prepare us to reach the proper level that we can achieve when we have to get to Shemona Ashrei, when we have to get to the main part of Tefillah, to the, the climax of Tefillah. So now what is this idea of, of uh, Simcha? Why is it that only with joy one can reach um, levels of nivuah and Shriyat uh, and why is it important that joy is um, attained before we before we start our tefillah so now there's a some background that we've given here before about the contrast between Simchan and Atzvut so Simchan and Atzvut are opposites one is happiness and one is depression they both have one thing in common that both of them accomplish the same thing, which is called bitul hayesh, nullif- self-nullification. So, if you've ever noticed in, in your life, my life, everyone's life, whenever we get to a state of pure joy, real meaningful joy, little things, or even big things, don't bother us. For example, you could be at your daughter's wedding. If someone's going to break uh, your expensive vase, it's not going to bother you. Because you've come to a point of self-nullification that the self is easily nullified because you realize that you're 
closer to something more meaningful, more joyous, more spiritual. And little things don't, you know, not even little things, sometimes even big things don't bother you. It's very easy to get those things out of the way. Um, and in a similar vein, when a person's depressed, also, he could wreck his car, it doesn't affect him. Depression and happiness both have the same power of self-nullification, that our self becomes let go of, our physical self becomes let go of, and we could surrender either to nothingness, as in depression, or we surrender totally to our meaning, or to our joy, in the case of simcha. This power of simcha to nullify ourselves and to nullify our physicality is what gives us, what gives it the power for prophets or for people of spiritual capacity and mystics to attain higher levels of spirituality because when they want to get closer to the other, when they want to get closer to Hashem, they have to first, either meditatively or in practice, diminish their physical um, consciousness. You have to detach from your body, you have to detach from your senses, you have to get a little bit higher. And therefore, Simcha is a very key um, component to achieving higher levels of meditation. Because if you can't let go of your body and of your senses, you're not going to get to a higher level of consciousness which can detach from our bodies and from our senses and from all of those things which hold us back. Now, to tie into this, Rav Schwab gives a very interesting, and Rav Shimon Schwab in his uh, Pirshan Tvila gives a very interesting distinction between the word Shir and the word Zimra. Shira and Zimra. So Shira, the word song, comes from, is related to the Hebrew word Sher. Shin Yudresh. Shin Yudresh in Hebrew means a connection. Well, it's, a, we, it's a Gemara in Shabbat, Nun Aleph Beit, I believe which uses the Lashon to connect things. Um, while Zimra, which is also another word for a type of song, a melody, comes from the word of, uh, what's how would I say, uh, Zamer? I don't, I, don't, I don't know the, I'm not good at Tikduk. The Kamnachalotizmar, and you shall not prune your vineyard. It comes from a Lashon of cutting. Shira's purpose, the purpose of song, is in order for us to feel more connected to Hashem, to recognize the harmony of Hashem in our, in our world, and Shira brings us closer to Hashem, it connects us to Hashem. Zimra has a slightly different purpose. Zimra, its purpose is to cut us off from the world beneath us. Its purpose is to elevate us higher than the physical and get us into the next stage of tefillah, which is higher than the physical, which is cutting away all the obstacles which are going to be in our way of having a greater spiritual experience. So the Mikubalim described this, what he is saying. The Mikubalim described this a little better, because the, the Mikubalim refer to our section of tefillah here as the Olam HaYetzirah. So the, the section before was the Olam HaSiyar, the Olam, the world of action. This world is the world of formation. Now, it also corresponds, the world of uh, Olam HaYetzirah is a world of connection. It's a world where we try to get connected to the world above, which is Olam HaBriah, and it also connects to the Olam of Ruach, uh, to the part of the Neshama called Ruach. Now, why is that part of our Neshama called Ruach? It's wind or air, for example, are things that we don't detect unless they move. There could be air in a room, but you're not going to detect it unless, unless it moves. Same thing is with Ruchniyut. You're not going to feel it unless there's a movement of Ruchniyut. 
if there's a movement of Ruchniyut, if you're spiritually moved, is when you detect Ruchniyut. So, say the Mekubalim that when we go from the Olam Hasiya higher into the world of um, Olam Hayetzirah, we have to, there are going to be klipot, which there are going to be uh, certain, uh, what's the word? Impure forces, which try to stop us from getting into that world of Ruach, into that world of Yitzirah, into that higher world with less physicality. And those impure forces can be cut away by properly ascending into the Psuke de Zimra. Because Psuke de Zimra, the verses of Zimra, help us cut away from all our physicality and from all the klipot that were in the Olam HaSiyah, and we rise higher in the meditative sense to the Olam HaYitzirah. The earliest sources for this are actually very early. It's the Sharei Oram, first chapter, Maria Buhab and Ma'ar. They all um, bring this idea that the Pesuket de Zimra have an even more Kabbalistic, higher function to cut us away from the physical world, which we were just in, um, where we brought the Korbanot and said the Filat HaShachar, and take us higher. Very nice. So now, I think, where are we up to? Um, okay. So, Bezat Hashem, next week, we'll continue speaking about Hodu. We'll discuss why we say it, where we say it, what the sources are it are for it, what the story is behind it with David HaMelech, and um, when it was composed, how ancient the verses are, if they come from antiquity, or if they were composed by David HaMelech himself. And Bezat Hashem will, con- will continue with the first of the Pesukta Zimra next week.